series here. I, I love kicking off new series. This is our Christmas series. We're going to spend three weeks talking about what you've always wanted. So we're in the middle of Black Friday and Cyber Monday. How many of you did some Black Friday shopping? Okay. How many of you have the bruises to prove it? Okay, there we go. There we go. So we're, we got all of that. And from here, we go to the Christmas shopping season with Christmas lists and all of that. I mean, we are in the season of stuff we want. Okay? Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not against presents. I love giving presents. I love giving presents. I did some Black Friday shopping, so that's not what this is about. But what this is about is that when all said and done, when the tinsel's falling off the dead tree and the, the, the ornaments are going back in the box, often all of that stuff that we wanted, we, some of it we have, but it still kind of leaves us a little empty. And the reason for that is there's stuff we want and then there's stuff you've always wanted. I, for the next three weeks, well, four weeks really good, we got baptisms next week, but for the next three sermons, I want to talk about the stuff you've always wanted. The stuff that's really deep. The stuff that it, it gets down to the heart of your, your soul. The stuff you've always wanted. It's the stuff that wrapping paper and stockings can't hold. That's what I want to talk about. And the reason I want to talk about that is that the, the Bible's Christmas story is all about having these deep desires and deep longings met in this little baby born in Bethlehem. That's what the Christmas story is all about. So for these next three weeks, we're going to be looking at the book of Matthew. Okay? Matthew's gospel, and Matthew has a, few, a couple chapters of the Christmas story that is just filled with promises of how this little baby born in a feeding trough can meet those deep, deep desires, the things you've always wanted. So no, we're not going to talk about new televisions and vacuum cleaners. No, we're not going to talk about that. We're going to talk about things like to be included. I think we all have a deep desire to be included. That's why being left out hurts. I think we all have a deep desire to have a family. And that's why whether it's parents who maybe had a hard time loving you in a way that made sense to you, that hurts. Or for married couples trying to have kids and they can't have kids, it hurts. Because we all long to have a family. And then we also all long to worship something. We all long to worship something. And all of those themes, all of those ideas are discussed in the book of Matthew in the first couple chapters. The Christmas story is all about what you've always wanted. So that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to start with, with Matthew chapter 1. The first, the first 17 verses of Matthew chapter 1. Um, and today's, today's theme is going to be all about this deep desire that every one of us have to be included. To be included. And so for me, that's been a big theme kind of in my life. A big, deep desire in my life. Um, ever since I was a, a kid, 
And so back in elementary school, um, I wasn't a really popular kid. In fact, I was a little oafish and big. <laughs> I was the biggest kid in the class. And I wasn't very athletic. Um, I was the kid who always got picked last in games. Um, and I was, I was teased a lot and bullied a lot and kind of beat up probably more than my fair share. Because I was sort of an oddball. I wasn't great with socially. I was a little oversensitive. Um, I, I would cry sometimes. And, and so as a result, I didn't fit with a lot of kids. And I kind of ended up on the outskirts. Um, I'd eat lunch alone, sometimes stay in the classroom during recess. Um, sometimes even during fifth and sixth grade, uh, me and, and a few others would play Dungeons and Dragons, um, if any of you know that game. And, but we wouldn't even play where all the other kids were playing. We went around the corner into this little dark alcove, and we, we sat there the whole recess playing Dungeons and Dragons. And it was kind of lonely, and it was kind of hard. Because, um, you know, elementary school kids aren't great with different. They don't quite know how to deal with peers that are different. And so usually it ends up resulting in a lot of teasing and a lot of bullying. And, and, and I kind of got my fair share of it. And, um, by sixth grade, it had gotten bad enough, like a, a certain few instances gotten bad enough where the principal had to get involved and parents had to get involved and there were meetings and there were formal apologies, and it was a big mess. But, but it left me, by sixth grade, it left me pretty lonely. It left me pretty withdrawn. Um, and it left me pretty sad. And so that kind of continued on into high school as well. Uh, in high school, um, and I've actually got a picture of me in high school as well. So there's, that's my freshman water polo picture from high school. Um, yeah, no geeky gray there. Um, so I, I started playing water polo, and, and this was back in the 80s when, when part of sports, especially high school guy sports, was hazing. So the seniors would haze the freshmen, and it was kind of seen as, back then it was seen as actually kind of a good thing. Coaches sort of wanted it to happen because it toughened people up, it brought the teams together, and so my freshman year was filled with a whole lot of hazing. But so was everybody else's freshman year on, on the water polo team. Um, so you, you just kind of got through it together. Um, but at the same time, I didn't really have many friends on the water polo team. I didn't really have many friends outside of school either. Um, I, I, I remember during my freshman and sophomore years at school, I would, um, I would actually walk around during lunch. And I would kind of walk quickly with my backpack, like I, like I had some place to go. So if anyone ran into me, any of my friends would see me, I'd have to tell them, oh yeah, I'm going to come go see Miss Anderson, I'd go bounce them <coughs> off. But the truth is I did that because I didn't have anywhere else to eat lunch. I didn't have any friends to eat lunch with. I wasn't actually going to Miss Anderson's class. And that was kind of my normal routine throughout the week. Um, so things didn't get a whole lot better in high school. And then, come my sophomore year in water polo, normally, typically the hazing stops when you, when you finish freshman year and you go to sophomore year. But for me, I was bumped up to the varsity team, which meant just the hazing continued. And it got pretty bad. Um, I, was, I was taking a beating on a pretty regular basis. You know, and I started getting really depressed and really sad. 
Uh, and, but I didn't want to talk about it. I didn't talk to my parents about it. But in fact, it had gotten so bad that other kids were telling their parents, and their parents were telling my parents kind of about the beatings I was getting. Uh, and the coach actually had to step in and change rules and policies. And um, So around sophomore year was a pretty depressing time for me. It was pretty miserable. Um, I wasn't really included in the water polo team. They weren't my friends. I really wasn't a part of clubs or activities. I didn't have great friends to eat lunch with. I didn't do much on the weekends, an occasional date or like a homecoming dance and stuff like that. Um, but there wasn't a whole lot that us, a lonely, depressed, socially awkward kind of guy could do. And so I felt that deep longing to be included. And I felt it pretty poignantly by my sophomore year in high school. So I don't know what it is with you. I don't know where you feel that deep longing to be included, but I'm willing to bet you've got a place in your life. Maybe it's a place in your past, in your childhood. Or maybe it's somewhere present. Um, maybe, maybe you went to a school that, where it was mostly Macau students, and only a few like mom students there, and you always felt like an outsider. And so you just hung out with a few other mom students, and, and you, you ate your food that you guys loved, but all the Macau kids kind of made fun of. And maybe you were called names, mean-spirited, racist names. I don't know, what, maybe, maybe that was elementary school or high school for you. Uh, or maybe your parents constantly compared you to your siblings. Maybe your family had the pretty one, or the successful one, or the good kid, and none of those were you. And you always got compared. Why couldn't you be more like them? And you felt on the outside, you felt excluded from kind of the family love. Or ladies, maybe you're single, and you're the one who gets asked to babysit when everyone else goes out to have fun. So you got to watch all the kids while everyone else goes out, goes down to uptown, goes bowling. You're stuck with all the kids, simply because you're single. Or maybe you're married, and you don't have kids. And all of your siblings and your cousins and now your nieces and nephews are having kids, and they're popping kids out right and left. And you've been trying year after year after year, and no kids. And you got aunties giving you sticks to boil, and everybody's asking you awkward questions, and, and it's just uncomfortable. And you feel left out. You feel like you're not good enough because you and your wife or you and your husband don't have kids. So where have you felt that deep sense to be included? Maybe it's as simple as browsing through Facebook and seeing all the fun that everyone else is having. And you kind of sit to yourself, by yourself, and you say, no one's inviting me to these things. 
they're all out having fun. And I wish someone would invite me. So I don't know what it is for you, but I'm willing to bet that there's something in your life, some place in your life or some time in your life where you have deeply longed to be included. Well, if that's true, then the Christmas story has good news for you. The Christmas story has very good news for you. Because Matthew's Christmas story begins with a resounding statement to all. You can be included in the family of God. You can be included in the family of God. Despite your past, despite your present, you can be included. But see, Matthew does this in kind of an unusual way. It'd be a lot nicer if you just said that, but he did it in a very indirect, very cultural, Hebrew cultural way. He did that through a genealogy. And now a genealogy is a list of, of fathers and sons and daughters. It's, it's who, who was the father of whom and who was the father of whom. It, it's what happens when your parents go to meet someone new. They go to visit someone and they'll be like, oh, now where are your parents from? What village were your grandparents from? You know that, you know that conversation. Or you might even have you meet someone new and be like, so who are your parents? Where are you from? Or, you know, that, that, that's kind of genealogy. Well, the Jews did that as well, but... But they did much bigger genealogies. So Matthew actually did a 42-generation genealogy at the beginning of his gospel. That's how he starts out. The amazing, inspiring Christmas story starts out with 42 generations of names. This is the part that we all skip in the Christmas story. But I want to inspire you. I want to inspire you, okay? So here it is. A day may come where the courage of men fail and we skip the genealogies. Today is not that day. Today, we read the genealogies. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so are you ready for this? Okay, now I'm going to help you out here. I'm going to help explain how genealogies work a little bit and how Matthew crafted his genealogy. Okay, because otherwise then obviously it's just one name, it's one I am named after another. Nehemiah, Jeremiah, Spice and Pliant. It just keeps going. Okay? And, and then you just skip it or you fall asleep. Okay. So let me help you understand the way genealogies worked for them. Okay? So first, genealogies were used to establish a person's identity. Okay? They're used to establish a person's identity. Now, so mom culture, the way mom culture works, is when you go to meet someone new and you ask, like, who are your parents or what village were your grandparents from, it's not so much about identity, but it's about, it's about family relationship. You ever, you ever done that? You, like, you meet someone new and you start saying, yeah, yeah my parents were uh, uh, so from Iowa, and then uh, my parents are uh, on the phone from so-and-so. Wait, you haven't, wait, wait, is that, that's my uncle's, and you find out you're like cousins. You ever had that? Okay? Okay, so, so, so Mom used genealogies to establish family connections. That's not really how the, the Jews used genealogies. They used genealogies to establish identity. In other words, who are you? Where do you come from? What's your family lineage like? Okay? That's all what genealogies would do. And 
Matthew had one big purpose for his gospel. Matthew had one gigantic purpose in his whole gospel. Okay? And it's this. To prove to the listener or the reader for us. It's to prove to the listener or the reader that Jesus was the Messiah King promised in the Old Testament. That is Matthew's primary goal in writing his, his gospel. Other gospels have other goals. Matthew's goal was to prove that Jesus was the Messiah King promised in the Old Testament. Okay. Now, what's this Messiah? So this Messiah King is, it was a person talked about in the Old Testament that was, was the rescuer, was the one who saved Israel. Whether they were in exile, in, in months past, sermons past, I've talked about the exile where God punished the Israelites for their sin and disobedience by letting them get captured by some foreign countries. And they ended up as slaves living outside their land. They were in exile. This, this Messiah person was the one who was going to free Israel from occupation. At Jesus' time, the, the, um, the Jews were occupied by the Romans. So this Messiah was supposed to free the Jewish people and restore the Jewish people to glory and greatness and heal the Jewish people from all of their woundedness over the years. That was this Messiah King. And this was promised all throughout the Old Testament. In fact, even from Genesis, this Messiah was promised. And Matthew had one goal in his gospel, was to prove to everyone who heard or read it that this Jesus of Nazareth was that promised Messiah King. Okay? So remember, genealogies are about identity. And the identity that Matthew wanted everyone to know without a doubt was that Jesus was the Messiah promised in the Old Testament. So that's the first thing you need to know about genealogies. Okay. Next thing you need to know about, about genealogies is some characteristics of them. Here's some common characteristics of genealogies. First, they use firstborn male sons. Don't use daughters, don't use wives, don't even use really second and third born. You use firstborn male sons. That's how you do a genealogy. It's not that, like you wouldn't go up to a stranger and, and instead of asking, so who are your parents? You'd be like, so who's your sister? No, that's, that's not how it works. You ask, who are your parents? Okay? So this is how, how Jewish genealogies worked. First, so they used male firstborn Sons as part of the genealogy. The next thing to understand is that the better, kind of the better the people in your genealogy, the better you are. Okay? So for instance, it, like if you're related to General Van Pat, you can basically get the best seat in any house. You can get immediate service. Like you, you get the best papaya served because you're you're somewhat you're a relative. You're like a great-grandchild or something of General Van Pat. Okay? So if you've got the general, in your genealogy, genealogy you're, you're good, man. You are set for every party, everything, okay? So Jewish genealogies were similarly, that the people in the genealogies matter. And the, the better the Israelites, the better you are because they're part of your lineage. So you want good Israelites 
Uh, you want pure Israelites, like you don't want a genealogy filled with a bunch of non-Israelites, because that just means you're kind of a half-breed. And so you don't want that. And you definitely don't want a genealogy filled with a bunch of loser Israelites. No, you want like priests and kings to be part of your genealogy. Okay? Not like Joe Schmo who lived in the desert. Okay? That's not a genealogy you brag about. Okay. So that's the other thing about genealogies. And lastly, one last thing is they always follow the same pattern. They always follow the same pattern. Where it always follows, so like, like my dad is Terry. It always follows, follows that Terry is the father of Greg. Greg is the father of some Yorkies. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. So it always follows that pattern. Terry is the father of Greg. Greg is the father of Yorkies. Okay. So it always follows that pattern. Now, Matthew, when he created his genealogy, he broke all of these rules. And that's the thing that we can miss, that we don't know. When we just see a bunch of names, and, and God forbid you should read this in the King James, because then, then it's things like, like Abraham begat Isaac, and Isaac begat... I, people are begetting all over the place, okay? So don't read a genealogy in the King James, because you'll just be... Things will be begatting people all over the place, okay? And who knows what a begat is anyway? So you don't want to do that. And I mean, it makes it a little easier to understand. So... So what happens here is Matthew broke all of these rules, but he did it for a very specific purpose. He broke all of these standard conventions because he wanted to highlight that this was no ordinary genealogy. This was no ordinary genealogy because this was no ordinary baby born. And so some of the things that he did, and one of the biggest things that he did here was that he included Gentile women in the genealogy. Now, Gentile is, is a term for anyone who's not Jewish. Okay, so I don't think we have anybody of Jewish ancestry in here, so, so we're all Gentiles. Okay, but for the Jews, to be Jewish is a big deal, and you don't want Gentiles in your in your lineage. So, but he very specifically included Gentile women in his genealogy. Nobody did this. Like, this is a genealogy that would not get, get past, like, a fourth grade writing class. They'd be like, F, do it again. But no, he broke the convention, and he did this for a very specific purpose. He did this to say that Gentiles can and will be included in the kingdom of God. Because at that point, the kingdom of God was a very Israel thing, filled with... Israelites. The Gentiles were on their own. They were out of luck. But Matthew's genealogy came out loud and clear. And any person in the first century who would have heard this would have known it immediately. It gets lost on us because it's just a bunch of names. Okay, so that's why I like to get, I want to sort of preload all of this into you before I even hit the, the genealogy itself. So he did this to say that the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people, that means you and I, can and will be a part of the kingdom of God. And here's the cool thing. That if God can include the Gentiles in his kingdom, he can include you and me. If God can include the Gentiles in his kingdom, he can include you and me. 
So let's, let's hit a little bit of the genealogy. Now this genealogy is split into three sections. And you'll actually see it up on the screen as we read part one, part two, part three. It's going to be up in the upper right-hand corner as we go through. Okay? So stick with me on this because it's a whole lot of names. But stick with me. Okay? And I'll pause periodically to explain some of the names that really stand out. Okay, so, so this is Matthew 1, 1 through 17. Okay, it starts with an introduction. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, there it is, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Okay, we're going to pause there. So, the son of David and the son of Abraham. Now, that's a little confusing because they actually mean different things. That phrase, son of David... That actually doesn't mean the kid of David. That son of David is a Messiah phrase. All of these good Jewish boys and girls who were trained, who, who learned their Bible, which we would call the Old Testament, they, they know that phrase, son of David. <laughs> a son of David is another way of saying Messiah. Okay, so you know what, what he's really saying? Jesus is the Messiah of the Messiah. He's just making his point really clearly. And then son of Abraham. And that is actual genealogy. Because he starts with Abraham, who's largely considered the father of the Jewish people. It's father Abraham, and many sons. Many sons, sons like father Abraham. Okay, some of you remember that one. Okay, there we go. So we, he starts with Abraham. Here we go. Part one from Abraham to King David. Abraham was the father of Isaac. And Isaac the father of Jacob. And Jacob, the father of Judah, who incidentally was the fourth son, he was the first son, okay? and his brothers, there were 11 of them. You don't include 12 brothers in the genealogy. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. There's the first one. You don't include moms in genealogy, but Matthew does. Okay? And it's not just that she's a woman, okay? but she is a Gentile woman. And not just that she is a Gentile woman, but there's a story in the Old Testament of Tamar where she was actually the victim of incest. So here's a person who violated the, the Levitical law included in the genealogy of the king of kings. Let's continue. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron the father of Ram. Ram the father of Aminadab. Aminadab the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Solomon. Not Salmon. I know that's confusing. Okay. <laughs> Solomon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Another woman, another Gentile, and in this case, a prostitute. Okay. Let's continue. Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Another Gentile woman. She was a woman of very high character, though. Okay, so a little different, but still non-Jewish. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. Okay, we're going to pause there. One of the promises of Messiah of the Old Testament is that he would come from the line of David. Because King David was seen as the best of the kings. He was kind of the best of the best. And Messiah would come from the line of King David. So it's no surprise that he ends this part one with... King David. Let's continue. David was the 
father of Solomon, who, by the way, was a second son, who wasn't the first, okay, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. There's another woman mentioned, not by name, but if you're familiar with the story, that's the story of Bathsheba. Bathsheba was Uriah's wife. By the way, also someone who committed adultery with King David. Okay, so you've got a sinning king who hooked up with an adulterous woman. Again, also Gentile. Solomon was the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam the father of Abijah. Abijah the father of Asa. Asa the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat the father of Jehoram. Jehoram the father of Uzziah. Uzziah the father of Jotham. Jotham the father of Ahaz. Ahaz the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah the father of Manasseh. Manasseh the father of Amon. Amon the father of Josiah. And Josiah the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile. That's very important. You don't put time markers in genealogies. That's typically not done. But here's the thing. Remember that I said Matthew's purpose was to say that Jesus is Messiah? And what Messiah does is frees us from exile. Hmm. So by including exile in one of these, this part two section, it's a gigantic shout out and reminder that Jesus is Messiah. Let's continue. Part three. After the exile to Babylon. Jeconiah was the father of Sheatiel, Sheatiel the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel the father of Abihud, Abihud the father of Eliakim, Eliakim the father of Azor, Azor the father of Zadok, Zadok the father of Achim, Achim the father of Eliad, Eliad the father of Eliezer, Eliezer the father of Methan, Methan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus. In case you forget Matthew's point, who is called the Messiah. And now he kind of wraps up with a little conclusion here. Oh, thank you, thank you guys. Oh, no, no, no. Beginning to feel like Steve Carell in, in, uh, in uh, Liar Liar goes up on stage and And so he finally finishes up here. There were 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to Messiah. Now, in case you were counting, you would notice there's actually not 14 of them uh, in the first <laughs> section. Uh, it's a whole other segment. I didn't want to get into it. <laughs> if you're curious about that, come and talk to me afterwards. Okay. So that is the genealogy that you have probably skipped every time you go to the book of Matthew. Okay. This is not the typical Christmas story. But remember Matthew's purpose, Matthew's point, is to remind his readers and us that Jesus is the Messiah King of Israel. He is their Redeemer, Rescuer, and Restorer. That means He is your Redeemer, Rescuer, and Restorer. And all among these Israelite priests and kings, there were four Gentile women, sinners. God included the outcasts. He included the excluded. He included the outsiders. So what does that mean for us? And it means simply this, that God includes what life excludes.
Let me say that again. God includes what life excludes. I think we all have circumstances in our life. Maybe they're in our past, maybe they're in our present, which might make us question whether God would really love us. It's the only, if, he, if he knew what I knew, he wouldn't really love me. You know what? God includes what life excludes. If you feel like God could never love you because of what you've done, you need to remember this genealogy that God includes what life excludes. When you feel like a failure compared to the people around you, you remember this genealogy and remember that God includes what life excludes. When you feel like an outcast, an outsider, a reject, you need to remember this genealogy that God includes what life excludes. Now that, I learned that lesson kind of early on and in a big way, that God includes what life excludes. Because you see, through a lot of my school years, I had a lot of life excluding me. But there's more to the story that I started telling you about. I left off, if you remember, about sophomore year. Uh, I was lonely, uh, depressed, uh, and getting beaten up on a pretty regular basis. Um, mostly with water polo balls. <laughs> um, and, and then at one point in springtime, a friend of mine invited me to a Bible study. Now you see, I didn't grow up Christian. The family's not Christian. Um, I didn't really go to church. I went to church on Christmas sometimes and Easter sometimes and, and Sunday school a couple times with my cousins. And, but but I, I'd never been to a Bible study before. My friend invited me. This is an old friend of mine from, from Little League days. And I was like, sure, I'll go. Why not? <laughs> I, I didn't really know what to expect. And when I went to this Bible study, I experienced something pretty amazing. I experienced a group of people that were friendly and nice. And they didn't beat me up. Um, I didn't experience a whole lot of friendly and nice. there and person after person seemed to be really glad I was there. Someone they hadn't met before, but they were glad I was there. Um, I don't remember what the Bible study was on. <laughs> I don't actually remember uh, anything that was discussed. So for all you life group leaders, if you ever get too wound up in your studies, just remember that. <laughs> um, but I remember at the end of that Bible study, I was kind of shaken up because I had never really experienced this before. And I remember I actually walked out of the house and I was pacing back and forth on the driveway because I didn't know what to do with this experience. Because this is not the way my world worked. And I was pacing back and forth and then finally one of the youth leaders came out the front door and he was like, Greg, are you okay? And we, we started to talk a little bit more. And I don't remember really what we talked about on the, out on the driveway. But I remember saying, I don't know what all of this is, but I think I want it. 
And so we went inside, we knelt down on the floor of their living room, a little apart from everybody, and, and I prayed to believe and follow Christ. I became a Christian that day. Um, all because people were really nice to me. Um, as a little side note, that's why it's a big deal to me that River Life is a really warm and friendly place. Because uh, it transformed my life. Um, so I, so I, I, I accepted Christ that night and I left. I went home. I didn't really hang out afterwards, I, so I went home. But it didn't stop there. So you see, the next day, and, and everyone who was at this Bible study, we all went to the same high school. And, and I, I just arrived at the high school, and then two of the girls who were there, Carrie and Heidi, and um, both sophomore cheerleaders, they, they saw me kind of down the hall, they came running toward me, they gave me this huge hug, which that alone was pretty new, I don't think I'd ever been hugged by a cheerleader. Um, so, so that was a pretty new thing for me. Um, but Carrie and Heidi then handed me this little gift bag. And in this gift bag, it was filled with all this little cutesy, crafty Christian stuff. There were little, little like construction paper crosses and a little believer on board sign. You know, you, you know the little yellow triangle signs? Someone must have pulled it out of their car or something because they did this all from like 10 p.m. to 8 a.m. the next morning. So I don't know how late they stayed up, but they cut these little hearts. This is like Jesus loves you. And, and one of the other things that they did, as cheerleaders are often doing, is they, they take puppy paints and paint anything. Okay? And, and they made me a little cup. I actually have a picture of this cup. They made me this cup. Uh, and they wrote down everyone's name that was on this. And I actually still have that cup. Um, 1987. Um, and what's amazing about this cup is it had everyone who was there that night, everyone's names on it. And I was included. Um, it's a moment I'm eternally grateful to Heidi and Carrie for. Because they showed me the power of being included. I already felt the pain of being excluded. I didn't need any more of that. And I don't think you need any more of that either. You need to experience the power of being included. And that's what this genealogy is for. To say that God includes what life excludes. So I don't, I, I, I don't care what life has dealt you. I don't care what things you've ran into. What, what crisis you've created yourself. What tragedy or trauma has been thrust upon you in life. But whatever it is in life that has excluded you, you need to know that the Christmas story did not begin with a little baby. It did not begin with wise men and a star. It began with 42 generational of genealogy saying one thing loud and clear. That you can be included in the kingdom of God through Jesus Christ, the Messiah King that you have always wanted. Amen. And that's the beginning of the Christmas story that none of us really hear. The genealogy matters. It takes a little work, but it matters.
because it says that God includes what life excludes. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for including me in your kingdom. I thank you for including every son and daughter in front of me into your kingdom. You long to bring into relationship what this world, what this broken world of us, of ours, drives out of relationship. God, you long to include in fellowship, in connection with you, what everything in life excludes. So thank you, God. We don't deserve it. We deserve separation and exclusion and isolation. But you give love and relationship and inclusion. Right, so I want to pray for every person here. First and foremost, that they know how much you love them. That you love them not for anything that they do, but exactly for who they are. And you desire for them to be included in your kingdom through Jesus, Messiah, King. God, that's so why I pray that every person here is included in your kingdom. And for those who aren't sure about that, Lord, draw their hearts to you. Grab a hold and pull their hearts with your irresistible grace and love and change their life to be included. So thank you for changing mine. I thank you for the power of love and the power of warmth and the power of friendship. All of which are just little tastes of how much you love us. So Heavenly Father, shower us with your love now and forever. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.